Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. Today we're talking about Minute 28, which begins with Laufey declaring war and ends with Thor and Odin arguing while Heimdall watches, and apparently doesn't cut his hands while catching a sword in midair. But we'll get into all that. Uh, joining us on the podcast today is our guest, Pete Wright. Pete, since you're actually the original person with Andy, and I'm the guest, it feels kind of weird to talk about you as a guest, but I've got the power. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as our guest, um, what do you love about Thor? I didn't until this morning. Okay. That is my giant grand awakening about this movie, you guys. I Now, I intentionally, I was on a little bit earlier in the season. We talked about the um, a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's Hammer. And that was delightful because it didn't involve the actual movie. I've never <laughs> been a big fan of this movie. And I haven't watched it since it since it came out really practically like i probably watched it again when it when it dropped on uh on home video and then i haven't watched it i sat down to watch it this morning and i'm not gonna lie to you i had a blast watching this movie i really enjoyed it i it, that was a major turn for me one of the things i like so much about it uh is i can actually see the seeds of today's thor in this thor and i feel like that um i, I had always my headcanon was that this movie they didn't know who thor was yet and so you know hemsworth wasn't playing him right they didn't quite get to the point that taika waititi's thor got him to or maybe whedon's thor sort of got him to and uh i absolutely i i retract all of my previous <laughs> eh, i retract most of my previous statements uh, <laughs> uh, about it there's just a lot of weight in this movie and i uh i i really had a had a great time with it and i think this minute gets into some of the uh the family dynamic that i think makes this movie really fascinating when you have such incredible performers as sir anthony hopkins in here delivering the business to his son um i i think that's that's a delight to watch I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think uh, I've talked before. I had a similar kind of like scales falling from the eyes moment. For me, it came after I watched uh, Ragnarok for the first time. And then went back and watched this movie. Right. And I think it's because of exactly what you're saying. Like, I feel like Taika Waititi taught me how to watch a Thor movie. And I was able to then kind of use that lens to go back and watch this movie and realize, you know, before I was like, I wasn't allowing myself to get caught up in all the family stuff because like it's the Bifrost and the big monster and it all just looks kind of goofy but like i think now that i have seen so much more of that world i've seen this world get destroyed you know i can just appreciate it and love it and there's just so much to dig into and this minute's gonna have a whole lot of that so let's go right into that right after this quick message we love delivering content to our listeners that is free of ads that you just don't want to hear this is a fun show to produce, but it does take time and cost money. Can you support us and help us out by becoming a member for the season? Membership is just $5 per month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. Members get bonus content, early access to shows, access to the live streams, and more. You can learn more at truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. start there, Pete. And, and Andy, what did you notice about this minute? What kind of jumped out at you? 
Well, the first thing that I notice is that sleep near disappears. Yes. <laughs> where the hell does the horse go? <laughs> and to that matter, where are all of their horses? Their horses were parked out in front. I don't know if you park a horse, but they were, they were, maybe it's because you don't have, you know, you know, in the old West, you got the little bar that they strap the yeah, reins you around. Tether a horse. You don't, you don't right. have that here. And so I guess their horses just went back to the pastures. There is actually, once you hit, once you hit Heimdall, there is actually a separate mini Bifrost that goes straight to the ta- stable. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's the stable Bifrost, stable frost. Right. Yeah. That's right. not written about in the Norse stuff. We, we have been assuming so. this whole time that Loki being devious and conniving the whole time was whispering to that guard, go tell Odin what's happening. Maybe yeah. he just said, hey, look, my idiot brother doesn't know how to take care of animals. We're probably going to leave the horses. Do you mind going to get them afterwards? You know, that's Anything's entirely possible. possible. I love that. <laughs> well, and Loki is an interesting character to talk about here. I mean, we know he's so devious, but I, I, I think, again, you said it earlier, Matthew, that there is this new lens through which we, we are learning how to watch these movies. And I, I, perhaps... Uh, Loki, the series, has taught me about how to watch for, you know, Hiddleston's Loki tricks in these earlier movies. And I really, for example, enjoy in this movie a lot of the humanity that he plays on his face. That, yes, his big show is that he's the the trickster god. But, you know, we get a a segment in here, or just a, a quick clip of this, where you can tell he's both so devious and also oh my god what is happening in front of me right now like i am i stand before you in shame and i know that's late in the minute we can get back to that but i think uh tom hilston's performance in this movie which i had often relegated to b-class character Mm -hmm. in marvel lore is one of the most interesting things to watch in this minute yeah he he has some great dialogue but i think far and away he's the character who says the most when he's not speaking and this minute yes. we get a couple of great, like, just kind of, like, breaths and, and, and facial expressions from him. But let's, of course, yes. start where the minute starts, uh, with uh, basically kind of a declaration of war. And we talked a bit about this yesterday in terms of what's Laufey thinking. But, but Pete, I'm curious your thoughts on it, too, because Laufey has kind of come up to Odin and been saying, like, you know, this is all your son's fault. You know, we can't just go back to diplomacy. Does Laufey know that he's going to attack from the beginning and he's just kind of, like— using diplomacy to lull Odin into, you know, not being ready for it? Or do you think that um, maybe there was something Odin could have said in this conversation that would have made Laufey not attack? What, what's kind of your take on what's going through his head? Well, I think a little of one and uh, a lot of the other. Uh, my read on it is that, no, Laufey was not always going to attack, and that two, there was nothing that Odin could have said at that mm. point that would have brokered a, some sort of a peaceful negotiation by then that the trigger event had happened right. and it, there there is no take backs in in this relationship but i i get a sense that they had come to a careful detente and that was largely okay and that thor broke it and and if i'm misreading that i mean let me know i, I there are so many little signals in here that that i feel like i i might have missed but um to me the battle is is already you know, waged. Yeah. I mean, we certainly, you know, discussed that yesterday with the fact that, I mean, you know, here is Odin showing up and just saying, you know, just 
forget it. They're boys. They're young. They're idiots. Mm -hmm. Just don't pay attention to what they did. We'll just call it good and go on our way. It's just a frat house prank that they destroyed your home and... Yeah, right. Not even mentioning (laughs) that they've killed potentially hundreds of frost giants they killed right. the jotun beast yeah laufy's laufy's dear dearest pet <laughs> and they've they've destroyed the city and now there's this giant chasm of the underground cave that goes from uh utgard hall all the way down to uh to the bifrost junction it's i mean yeah i mean yeah but yeah it's okay they they just they're boys boys will be boys they will be boys <laughs> That is the truth. And so I think in that regard, I think and 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 I think you see in this minute that Odin knows it. Odin knows there's nothing he could say. He Mm -hmm. went for the familial play, but he's exhausted and he already knows how this is going to play out. And so, you know, well, that's a good point, because as as Laufey said, you know, you know, all father, you, you know, I can't remember what he said last minute, like, but he, you, you don't look so good, right? I mean, he's, yeah. he's clearly seeming weaker and weaker. And I think that that's right. nice how that really shows in, in this. And, and I, I feel like Laufey is reading this, like, I potentially, like, th- this is going to be my moment. There are only seven of them here, plus a horse. And, you know, we can, we can take them. <laughs> And so I just have to keep bringing up the fact that there is a horse here, (laughs) but it's a disappearing horse. So don't worry about it. I I also think, and Annie, this is partially your fault because you've turned into a Laufey apologist. I right. I I know. I think there's something a little bit noble in the fact that he doesn't attack until Odin says, so be it. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of like, it's not enough for him just to say, no, you've caused there to be a war and there's going to be a war whether you like it or not. He sort of waits for Odin to kind of say, Agreed. We have to go to war, and then yep. he attacks. And I just, I, it kind of fits my understanding of the of the Jodens as they're being kind of, you know, they're aggressive. They want to take everything over. Maybe, although maybe that's just the story Odin told us. But certainly that there is a little bit of some level of nobility there, uh, which I which I really like. One hundred percent. Yes. These are. This is a gentleman savage character, right? Yeah. This is a softened character, and you know that is part of the great exercise of contrast that we have. That he would have this sort of demeanor with Odin and look the way he does at the same time, right. and that's what makes him a compelling character. And the Frost Giants a compelling, you know race and so much more interesting than i gave him credit for yeah he yes. he has more honor and nobility than thor does you know Absolutely. thor is the one who's supposed to and laufey is showing it yeah laufey you wonder if laufey could pick up the hammer <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe give him a shot right. I, mean, I mean that's the thing is that I, I we can probably go into this a lot more at a later point in the movie probably when like thor catches the hammer again but to me like when thor says you know whoever so shall be worthy Maybe I'm too much of a postmodernist, but I just I don't believe that there can ever be a like objective standard of what is worthy the hammer is going to judge by, you know. And so it's yes. whether it's Odin's uh, judgment of it or the hammers, but but we're getting way ahead of ourselves now. Well, yeah, I mean it, it, that that's like the magical sorting hat that we you know determined yeah. that the the Mjolnir is somehow possessing of right some some magical power that it can determine oh you know what you're worthy you can hold me it's right (laughs) well and so much of this movie when he is declared unworthy and loses the hammer it seems like the rest of the movie's journey is about you're not worthy until you've been through grief or loss and that should not probably be the the single uh sort of measure of worthiness although an important part of it well, um, yeah, so. I, I think that it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if it, I would say that's what it is. I think that it's definitely more of a self-sacrifice sort of thing, but. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I would say it's more 
um, we've been talking about this, that the problem is that be, it's not that he has to go through grief or loss. It's that because he never has and because there's never been any consequences yes. for his actions and and nothing's ever gone wrong for him, he's developed this incredible arrogance and carelessness and just devil-may-care attitude, and that's what has to change. Yeah. Well, and that's my that's exactly my point about Lofi. Like, right. I really, I mean, Lofi, as the, the as the leader of the Frost Giants, you know, is as honorable a guy in their place as Odin is in his own. Right. And so who's to say, like, what, what worthiness means? Magical sorting hat. <laughs> so I understand it's my job to be the one to kind of keep us on track and on minute, which is funny because it's you two who told me that it's your job. And uh, so I'm going to stop you all from the tangentness. Uh, right, let's, right. let's get back to the minute itself. So uh, Laufey attacks and Odin is clearly ready for this. And he like puts down his staff and there's this brilliant flash of light and everybody gets thrown back. He, he raises it, right? He raises Gungnir and and. A blast of light. Blight yeah, that's right. From, yeah. He raises it. Normally, he's stomping it down. Yeah, right. And, and he's, a flash of light, Laufey and some of the others are thrown back, and the Bifrost immediately comes and takes them away. Yeah, lucky. luckily, Laufey somehow manages to catch himself on a kind of a rock so he doesn't go flying off the cliff, because that right. definitely hit him hard. And this is interesting, because in the script, these are two very different things that happen at different times. Odin makes this kind of light attack, and then Thor says, you know, Father, we should... Uh, this is when that Let's Finish Them Together comes, right? Right. Yeah, that's when the Let's Finish Them Together comes, in the script at least, and then he summons the Bifrost. Yeah. Here they happen, it seems like at the exact same time, and I thought that's a very interesting change. Is the idea here, you think that, like, this is it the same thing happening of, like, summoning the Bifrost also knocks back all your enemies? Or is he doing, like, two things, like, lickety-split one after the other? I think he's doing two things here. I think that he—well, because Heimdall obviously is in on this whole thing and is watching, so he's aware of what's happening. And I think that Odin had told Heimdall, be ready, uh, you know, I'm going to need you to just grab us as soon as you can. And then when, when Odin— uses Gungnir to kind of blast that kind of shockwave to knock everybody back, that essentially, you know, I don't know if it was planned that way, but that was the signal that Heimdall needed to say, okay, open the Bifrost and, and grab those uh, six plus a horse, seven right. plus a horse. <laughs> a horse that now has a cloaking device, apparently. I think he does <laughs> say seven to beam up. I, I do think he's... <laughs> We're in a different universe. And, and yeah, the Bifrost... I don't know if it's just because of the the cold Jotun skies, but I love the look of the Bifrost on this particular planet. Like when mm -hmm. Odin appeared, it was great, and here when they all get sucked up by it, I mean, it's just it's beautiful Bifrost. But definitely, because I was kind of like stopping and starting a lot. There is one moment where literally the it's like you know it goes very quickly, but the entire screen is just white. Yeah. You know? Yes, which I loved. And then they do this wonderful like slow circle on Luffy's face. And what do you, what is going through his head at that moment, you think? Well, I think what's going through his head is, I sure am fast. I can move so fast to get off this, the edge of the cliff <laughs> and get standing back in front of my troops. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that took me, I was using the minute and I was scrubbing back and forth. Like, when do we see him stand up and chill? <laughs> like that, that was very fast. Also, um, you know, that final look on his red eyes is, yeah, we're not done. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, it's a. It, it seems like we've now triggered a a pretty straightforward, uh, whatever it takes, exact revenge plot. Like there, right. there's there will be a comeuppance. Yeah. This is war. 
especially because, you know, he was already the one saying to Thor in our last few minutes, your father is not who you think he is. There's traitors in your house. Your mm-hmm. father is a liar and a murderer. And now, you know, he has said to Odin, let's have honorable combat. And Odin has said, sure, psych. And then, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, just yeah. thrown them back and disappeared. Yeah. And I can understand Lafayette right. being like, okay, we're done, dude. Like, I'm just going to kill you. No more. No more of this nonsense. Right, right. Well, right. and isn't it isn't it funny? This is a deep aside, but isn't it funny that we see, you know, we get to see the backstory of uh, uh, Odin's journey, learning the same lesson he's trying to teach Thor here in Ragnarok. Yeah. Like as it, the, the whole experience with Hela, like the fact that these two are are deeply genetically linked is, I think, a real uh, tribute to this part of the. MCU. Well, that's, you know, just I'm glad you brought that up as a point, because, again, I find that moment when early in this film, and we talked about this, Matthew, but when Odin is standing over Laufey, who's laying on the ground with Gungnir ready to strike, and then he pauses and stops. Like, I feel like that is the moment where Odin has his turn and he finally realizes this is getting me nowhere. I need to stop. Mm-hmm. I need to find peace instead of this war that I've been doing forever because of the times with Hela and everything. And I right. think that that's like, for me, that's the moment that I'm, I'm going to make that uh, official canon in my yeah. world. No, I think, I think that that part of Ragnarok really changes this and makes all of it make a lot more sense because yes. on the one hand, you sort of are kind of Odin feels kind of hypocritical in that he's so, uh, and, and that will also come up in the scene when Loki tries to destroy the Jotuns uh, yeah. because he thinks that's what his father wants. And Odin's like, how could you ever think I would want that? Well, now we know it's because you did at one point. Because you did yeah, that. That's right. your entire <laughs> purpose. Yep. But also I think it helps to under- explain how angry Odin is in this minute because, yeah, when someone is kind of, even without them realizing it, pointing out your hypocrisy when someone's doing something that you know is terrible and partly you know it's terrible because you did it yourself, like, that's a complicated set of emotions and I, it right. makes sense that Odin would, not not a good thing, but like kind of take that out on Thor as well as all of his actual disappointment. Absolutely. So then we cut back and I kind of love this scene that we we hear Thor and Odin arguing while we're hearing the machinery of the Bifrost, we're hearing and seeing the machinery of the Bifrost kind of wind down. It's got that, like, uh, you know, your blender is slowing down after you hit stop, kind of whirring noise. And, and to yeah. me, what it makes me think of is, like, the car has parked and the people are arguing as they're getting out of the car. You know, it just mm-hmm. shows the sense of urgency of we're in the middle of travel. We're not even really done. And we're still just yelling at each other. Yeah, I think that's great. And it does make me wonder, like, were they even yelling at each other while they were flying through the Bifrost? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. And and haven't we learned since that you can do a lot of stuff in the Bifrost, right? Like, <laughs> we had that whole chase in the Bifrost in Ragnarok again. Mm-hmm. Like, they've really leveled up the Bifrost over the years. I do think the machinery is very cool, although the CG in this one makes me think of that video game Mist, and, and just really excited about how far they've come in such a short time since this movie. Like, the compositing here in the reflections is um it's good and by comparison a little rough yeah uh compared to how far we've come since um it's it's lovely i think it's a curious choice on this argument uh, in particular the blocking of this 
uh, of this entire sequence is funny. It's a hard room, and there are kind of a lot of people moving around, and we've got Odin yelling, you know, get over here in the, send him to the healing room, and, um, you know, they're, they're all just a bunch of bodies moving around, and it took me several times to actually find Thor who is the one talking mm-hmm. i find this such a curious case i don't know if it's a if it's a branagh deeply wanting this virtual scene virtual set to be a stage and that this... the audience would be fixed but the camera is legit moving and thor is very small in the frame but he's the one doing a lot of the screaming i i thought that was intentional because what i got from it was Odin is kind of up higher than everyone else. He's totally in control. You know, he's pulling out the sword. All the lightning's there. He's tossing the sword around. Again, poor Heimdall's hands. We'll get to that in a second. But And Thor just looks so insignificant, you know? And and to me, I thought that was especially important because Odin, you know, one of the things he says is, you can't even protect your friends. Get mm-hmm. him to the healing room. Yeah. And this shows that Odin is now done in like five seconds the thing that Thor never did in the last couple minutes, which is acknowledge that one of his close friends is very badly hurt and needs help. Right. And so to me, that was kind of like Odin sees everything in a way that Thor doesn't. And that Thor is very kind of small and insignificant at this moment. There's a frenetic energy here that for me works really well as I kind of see everything that's happening here. And and so I end up just kind of like, I, I feel like this vibe works well, especially because of the way that you you really see Odin <laughs> clearing the room, let's just say. You know, mm-hmm. he's got a family squabble to do. Everybody else get the hell out and and boots them. What I do think is funny is, well, we'll talk, I don't know if we'll we'll get to this in the next minute, but I but I do think it's funny that when we do finally see after the after the Warriors 3 and Sif have left and Heimdall's kind of come behind them, later we'll actually see that Heimdall, he is outside, but he's actually facing inside like he's watching them. And I think that's funny that, that Heimdall is actually like, he's just like, you know, you know what, I'm out here. I'm, I'm just going to listen in, though. What is he going to tell the ladies on Wisteria Lane later? He's got to have the goss. So let's talk about Heimdall for a second, because Odin, yeah. in what feels like something, like he is so stately and regal. And he pulls the sword out and just kind of tosses it to Heimdall in a moment that just feels out of character for him. But mostly what I notice is Heimdall is not wearing gloves of any kind (laughs) and he catches this sword. Like, is it just that the sword isn't sharp? By the blade. By the blade. blade. Let's just say, not the handle. (laughs) Like one hand on, and it doesn't look like he is like pinching it. I'm making hand gestures this is a terrible radio but you know it doesn't look like he's doing it in a way to like not touch the blade he catches it with one hand on either side of the of the sharp what should be the sharp edges of the blade does he just have very calloused hands because odin (laughs) has been doing this to him for millennia or is the sword not sharp and it is just a key like what's happening here i want to i want to understand the sword toss moment well, well, I think the sword is definitely sharp because we'll we see him find use out it later. Yeah, <laughs> later that it's okay. Uh, but I also think any person who is alive a millennia for a king to throw swords at him probably is going to be okay with the hands. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> like, there are other questionable things going on with his longevity than it, strong hands. It makes right. me wonder about Heimdall's uh, powers because obviously we know yeah. he's got the power of vision; he can see across realms. Uh, well, across these nine realms, at least, to kind of see what's going on with people. But now, also, we know he has hands that are made like chainmail. Yeah. Yes. Well, kind of a creeper. Kind of a creeper. It does also <laughs> add a whole other dynamic as well, that 
if we know that Odin is getting older and that maybe he's going to his body is going to start failing in some ways, like it would seem very incumbent upon Heimdall to think that Odin's aim doesn't suffer as he gets older because that situation <laughs> yeah. could be a lot worse. But but anyway, we, we will stop with Heimdall Handsgate and uh, go back to the minute itself. <laughs> um, again, to me, what's so interesting is Thor is showing no remorse whatsoever. Not even when his father points out, like, you know, you got your best friend almost killed. You know, a couple of days ago, we talked about that moment where Thor defeats the beast. He's so proud of himself. He turns around and it seems like finally it's dawned on him. I have gotten people into real trouble. And now the moment his father comes and rescues him, all that's gone. He's right back to his like, dad, we could have done it. Why didn't we do it together? It just, it's just, to me, it's again like showing that Thor has just no situational awareness, no understanding of just how much trouble he was in. And that he's, or that he's just trying to hide all that by deflecting it all back onto his father. Well, I, I think also he is fulfilling every uh, stereotype of the ungrateful son uh, on one hand who is just trying to, con- to convince his dad that he has the power, he has what it takes to do what he thinks is right. Uh, and so he's going down the road of, uh, oh, you know, you are your old old man. It's time for the young, the youth to replace you because we're younger, smarter, faster, stronger. Yeah. And also fulfilling every one of the ungrateful daughter speeches in King Lear, right? Right? Mm-hmm. This is yet another uh, I- example of the the Shakespeare connection to this uh, to this property and how much love clearly they have in retracing those dynamics between uh, a father and child. And uh, so, Thor, I, I think at this point. I know he believes deep in his heart that he's saying the things that are going to get his point across. I'm not sure in that same breath he believes it's going to work at any point. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's such an interesting um, thing to think about, like, uh, because obviously he really kind of had these exact same thoughts when he was arguing with uh, his father in the vault after the frost giants had first tried to steal the casket and the destroyer destroyed them. He really has this exact same point. What's interesting is that then when he's convincing his friends, like he's saying, you know, we're just going there to talk. Like that's kind of a selling point that he uses to say, this is why we're going to go. We just want to find out what happened. And it makes me think that maybe he was using, maybe he thought that's what he was going to do. But I feel like in the back of his head, he really was always hoping that there would be a fight because I well mean, and i think yeah. his his friends probably knew exactly the same thing probably. like of course yeah. of course we're just going to talk yeah, yeah. we'll come yeah. you know yeah. uh, it, it's it it feels very much like that that sort of emotional sleight of hand like who are you lying to dad or yourself yeah. well yeah. you know so to me let's, that let's scene very much had the energy of the party boy being like let's go to the bar no dude you always get yeah. drunk no no i'll only have one drink i promise you know, yeah, like that's right. the energy to me. It really felt like. And I love what Odin has to say. Like Odin is is always speaking of wisdom or with wisdom as he's looking at Thor. Like that's pride and vanity talking, not leadership. And mm-hmm. and I think that he is so clear on on these points, which I find uh, really kind of interesting to see, especially knowing that he was one of these people like Thor and has been since trying to teach Thor to, you know, be a leader and have, as he says, a warrior's patience, which is obviously an important part of being a good leader. And and Thor is just blind to it all. And as you said, Pete, it's like, you know, he, 
Thor's the young, the newer model, right? And and yeah. he, you know, you're you're done, old man. My, it's my time now, and it's a it's that perspective shift, which is so de- such a delightful. I mean, this is again, it's where Marvel lives at its best is is presenting the extremes, and for us to be able to see such an extreme portrayal of the folly of youth, uh, uh, you know, of the mm. of the <clears throat> adolescent you know, uh, finally having the will and the courage to stand up to uh, the to to their parent and for the parent to realize, oh, this has to happen and it's going to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I have I, I now realize my role in this is, you know, I have to let them go yeah. um, is, you know, this is that experience writ large. And uh, I think it, I think it ends up being a, a lot of fun, both to watch and to think about. Yeah, especially because to me and I uh, will probably get more into this tomorrow. But to me, what's happening with Odin there is it's not just that he's like, I have to do this hard thing, but it's also like, how did my son turn out to be this? Yeah. What role did I play? You know, was I not yes. more disciplined and like. And is it is is it. um it's a family argument, obviously, but to a certain extent, it really is specifically Odin and Thor. And I know for film purposes, it's great to have Loki in here kind of doing this tennis ball match uh, as he watches the argument. But does it seem ever like Odin should also have like had had Loki leave? Because it's not like he's ever in this conversation and saying, you too did all of this. It's very directed to Thor. He has everyone else leave, but it's it, it's like Loki almost maybe he just very much represents that kind of like that slippery figure who Odin almost just doesn't even see at this moment. Well, he does sort of, but at the end of the, uh, toward the end of the film, we have Loki go through his same journey here. Mm -hmm. And then it is very much through Loki's experience of going through this, that Thor is able to see his own, you know, the errors of his own ways. And uh, that, and, and maybe that leads to some of his awareness of what, of what his father was trying to do. And, and uh, so I think had he sent Loki out, it would have been, you wouldn't have gotten that sort of trickle down uh, emotional lessons learned in the film. So maybe that that's a bit of a a Doyleist interpretation. I I, I saw it very much as a very intentional thing in that, not not that's intentional by, by Owen, but intentional by the filmmaker because you know i one thing i have learned both as someone who's done a lot of counseling uh and like fam with families that have like troubling dynamics and and coming from a family that had some of my own like there are times when two family members are so upset at each other that they will get in very bad fights and not notice that there's another family member in the room who probably shouldn't be hearing this and like the cliche is often with you know two parents yelling at each other in front of their child but often like a parent and one child going at it while the other sibling is kind of there mm-hmm. is something that really happens all the time and is incredibly hurtful. And to me, I feel like that's another moment where I I, I really sympathize with Loki, but also understood him. Because to me, what that kind of tells me is both of them aren't really aware he's in the room in that moment. And that part yeah. of that is the like that he probably often was, you know, Thor is the heir. Thor is the one Odin cares about. And rightly or wrongly, if I'm Loki in that moment, part of what I'm feeling is my dad cares so much about Thor that even when he's mad at him, I'm still not really on his radar screen. Yes. And the fact that Loki's going through his own incredibly damaging awakening in mm-hmm. this movie that nobody seems to care about yeah. until it's too late. Right. Yeah. Until he finally stands up and says, shut up and look at me. 
because I've been betrayed. And we then have what is, I think, of all the sort of like silent moments from Loki, I think this one is my favorite. We get a shot of his face. And, and from what I understood he's doing, he kind of like, he takes a moment to like almost take a deep breath and kind of collect himself as he's watching. And part of what I'm seeing there is that he's having just so much emotion. You know, Andy, you and I kind of go back and forth on to what extent he might feel bad about what's happening or to what extent he's just like 100% rubbing his hands with glee that his plan's coming together. <laughs> and I think it's probably some of the, some of both, but I think it's more the, the, the plan coming together. And you think it's more the, the sadness about what's happening to his brother. But well, either way, to me, this is, this is Loki realizing I have to just shut up now. Like there's nothing. Yeah. All, everything is going in a direction that could be very good for me. And just that breath to me is him just kind of doing exactly what Odin and Thor can't do, which is getting a hold on his emotions and wanting to see things play out before he puts his own cards on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get, you know, just to clarify, I don't think it's exactly sadness, but I think there's a sense of um, shock perhaps that, mm. that yeah. it's gone to such an extreme place because I think, you know, again, we can argue about what the whole intention was initially. Was it just to ruin the coronation? Was it actually to start a war? Um, was it to get Thor banished? Or was it really just to get Thor, you know, Thor's hand slapped and uh, because he was caught in the cookie jar and and just to get Odin upset at him? And like, I don't think it that he ever had in his mind that I'm going to put all these machinations into place. That's going to lead to Thor getting uh, banished. Like, I just don't think that that was the intention. And so I think when he sees kind of like this, the extent of where this particular argument is going, he's like, wow, this is going a lot further than I ever yeah. expected. Did not yeah, see that right. coming. Yeah. yeah. No, but right. again, exactly right. And it, it but again, those wheels, like yeah, those wheels keep spinning though. And he's like, okay, I can use this though. And that's, yeah. well, that's yeah. what I love about the character. Yeah, it's just such a contrast to what he's doing compared to the other two. Yeah, uh, and and can I just say from a production design, design standpoint, what I one of the things I love so much about this when we start doing these the one shots, the the side shots of of Thor and and Odin back to back, the the light in the chamber, there is something reflecting, rotating something going on because when you look at the ceiling behind each of them, the light is sort of dimming, you know, yeah. randomly, and it feels so much like we're in, like Beowulf, right? Like we're in some sort of a, a of a fire-lit cavern, yeah. and it just feels so perfectly like chef's kiss classical to me, yeah. and I just, I just adore that touch. Yeah. It would have been so easy not to use the rest of the environment like that because it's already a great set i, I love nice i mean this attention. whole him, him and bjorg set the inside of yeah. heimdall's observatory i mean it's immaculately put together i mean uh, yeah. bo welch is such an amazing production designer and, and you know crafted this whole thing to look as good as it does here and then the way that the lighting is working here uh, the zambralokos is lighting i mean it's it is like this pulsing of the bifrost energy that the observatory is kind of right. capturing here and it's i i just i I this is one of my favorite locations in in kind of the films because I just find this environment so uh, captivating in so many different ways. Well, and you can tell that it is a favorite location of the filmmakers. Oh, movie after movie, it just gets better. Yeah. It's just a cooler, a cooler place to to watch. Yeah. So I say one of the reasons why I love it is that it, it does look very, it looks very like Asgardian and almost kind of sci fi and everything kind of being like you know all the lights and stuff like that. 
but for me, I grew up in New York City, and so when I when I was a kid, Grand Central Station was still this like regal, ridiculously over the top train station, and it kind of got me into like at one point when I was in uh, grade school, I kind of looked into this more and found pictures of like Grand Central or like Union Station or some of the stations in London where like train stations were just some of the most elaborately designed buildings in in the whole city, and yeah. and in kind of like Victorian times. And, and it, this gives me a little bit of that feel too, you know. Some of it just like the way the the ceiling is put together and things like that, and the just beautiful things wherever you look. It, it kind of conveys that sense to me also, like that this is a world where kind of like you know those times where traveling was seen as such an important thing that that is a building you're going to put an awful lot of care and attention to. Yeah. Oh, I love the way that all the circles on the wall, I mean, it feels like, you know, an an actual observatory, like where we would build a telescope, right. To kind of observe the stars, like with all those circles and, and like the, just all over the walls with the little spots in the middle of them, it feels like you're looking at, uh, you're in a planetarium and like, this is the night sky in some scientific universe. You know, I, I yeah. find it just mesmerizing. Beautiful. I also wonder, you know, Odin seems awfully pissed because he clearly slammed Gungnir down into the stairs because it's just, it, it, it is embedded. It is firmly embedded in the second stair from the top. And I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> that I, I don't know if there's a slot that he normally rests Gungnir in when he's doing this sort of thing. But I mean, Gungnir is firmly planted there. And That's so now funny. it it ends with Thor really kind of like upping the ante in terms of what he's saying. You know, now he's no longer saying like, Father, you wrong in those moments, but he's just, you know, the nine realms are laughing at us. The old ways are done. Which is because we don't see any evidence of that at any point in this movie or pretty much any of the others, uh, except maybe the fact that some Frost Giants were willing to do this, but Laufey clearly doesn't think that yet until he sees how weak Odin is. What, and we see nothing about the other realms. Um... Is is this Thor just kind of like grasping at straws for whatever he can be angry about, or does this seem like you know maybe there's some truth to what he's saying? What what did you get from that that last attack he lashes out with? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think at this point he's just he's just finding a lot of venom, right? I mean, that's that's where that that's where you go when you when you feel like every argument is lost and you don't have the the gift of experience. You can kind of feel that that this argument could have been had between Luffy and Odin just a few seconds before had they not been two old men weary of these kinds of discussions. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I think he's just, he's just finding that sort of childish venom. Yeah. And that whole nine realms laugh at us line, like who knows? I mean, it's obviously not contextualized in the film at all. It just feels like something that, as Pete said, it's, it's some venom that Thor is bringing right. up. But if you think about like, you know, what's gone on through Thor's life. I mean, he's probably visited the realms, been drinking in various pubs around these realms and maybe mm-hmm. on Niflheim. So I was like, gosh, you know, Odin, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird how he's, you know, leading these things. And it's just like, I, I think that Thor probably has collected comments like that over time. And it's all coming out right now as yeah. as it's built to this head. Especially because you remember, like, he was about to become declared heir, you know, and this yeah. might be the sort of thing where, like, in his mind, he's already, like, put up new drapes and he knows the new way that <laughs> yeah, everything totally. should look. But also it's that. I would love like, to have seen that. Yeah, like, you know, him redecorating <laughs> the throne room. Uh, he's putting a keg, certainly. A n- number Maybe of that's why he flips Absolutely. the table. He's yeah. like, this was, I was going to get rid of this damn thing. <laughs> but, but also, like. 
We just got back from Jotunheim, where one of the realms was absolutely laughing at Thor. Yeah. And I, so I, I also hear kind of a transference thing of like, no, 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 it wasn't that they were laughing at me. It's because of you. They're laughing at us. But if I get rid of you, he just got humiliated on that planet in front of his friends and his brother and now his father. And so he's just yeah. doing everything he can to be like, no, 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 it's got to be something else. Oh, yeah. That silence that he gave to Thor. I mean, that was like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> That was the moment, right? That's probably yeah. why Thor is is so upset because of the way that his dad said that to him. Because it wasn't even like a loud yelling at him. It was just no. like a quiet, like it was very much putting Thor in his place. Like you, you are not able to sit at the grown ups table yet. This is for the you know the wise old men to discuss. Yeah, yeah I can see him smarting from that. So yeah. Uh, well, I think that's been all I had for this moment. What about for either of you two? Any other last things? That's uh, that's what I got. Great minute. Great, yeah, minute. great yeah. minute. I can't wait to see what uh, Odin's going to do with Gungnir. Pete, thank you so much. Um, it feels a little like bringing Coles to Newcastle to ask you to tell this audience where they can find you. But, you know, <laughs> for those folks who are just following this one podcast and are like, this Pete guy sounds pretty cool. We're going to hear more of you. I am everywhere all over truestory.fm. Lots of podcasts there. Uh, find us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah, I do a lot of stuff. So, uh, yeah, come find us. Awesome. Well, it's, again, been so much fun having you on. Andy's so great, as always, to all of you listening. Thank you all so much, and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Mm -hmm.